Hello and welcome to Story Notes, a show that invites world-class audio producers to showcase their work. I'm David Maguire. Now, you may remember that in episode one, I sat down with my colleague Alice Homewood to talk about her incredible peace with her grandma and dad. Well, in this episode, I again sit down with Alice to talk about another one of her audio gems. This time, it involves quite an intriguing character. I think most of the time, as a producer, you only record things that you definitely know that you're going to use somewhere, or you at least hope you're going to use it somewhere. This recording we're about to hear isn't one of those cases. I actually was recording for a documentary I was making as part of a series for a local radio station called BCFM. The project was called 12 Communities, One Bristol, and it had picked out the 12 least economically rich parts of the city. And one of these was St George in East Bristol. So I'd met with several different people in St George and recorded their stories. And then somebody said, look, if you're going to be in St George, you have to speak to Grenville. And that's how I heard about this extraordinary man. And he is the subject of today's documentary. Oh, so the guy's called Grenville. He's called Grenville, which is a really unusual name, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's. Uh, I thought when I first saw the title of the piece, I thought it was going to be an area. But but so Grenville is his first name. Grenville Johnson, that's his name. He's quite a character, as you will find out. And for a variety of reasons, I didn't. I wasn't able to see Grenville in his house in time for the piece I was making. But because I had a tiny bit of free time at the time of recording, I decided I'm just going to go and record it anyway. And then one day I'll do something with it. So I've told you a few details about this piece, but I've kept a lot under my hat. Um, I'm really interested to see what you think. And here we are, the story of Grenville and his extraordinary house. Okay, let's press play. I have a really strong memory of a particular childhood feeling. It's like a sinking tightness in my stomach, a heaviness to my legs and a slight tickling sensation in my nose. It came on every time my parents dragged me into an antique shop. I found those places fundamentally depressing as a kid. There was usually a cassette playing in the corner, rocking hits from the 50s or something like that. It was musty, dark, cold. All of the fabric you touched was damp. I remember making a beeline for anything brightly coloured, usually melamine cups from the 70s or advertising boards from the 80s, anything that wasn't just acres of dark wood. Later in life, I felt this sensation again outside of antique shops. I felt it in my grandparents' houses, which were not at all gloomy or dark or musty, but bright and light and warm. I felt it while looking at old photographs or discussing family trees, I've come to the conclusion that there is something about the passing of time and ageing and nostalgia which just doesn't sit well with me. I don't think this is just a youth thing. I'm not that young anymore. And seeing as this feeling doesn't seem to be going anywhere, I want to confront it head on. Today, I'm at the house of someone who does not run away from the old and antique. I'm here to try and understand what's driven one man in East Bristol to immerse himself in his past and to hear the love story at the very heart of it. From the outside, Grenville's house looks like an ordinary East Bristol house. Nice, neat, normal. Inside, 
It's extraordinary. It's very grand. Each room is full to the brim with Georgian furniture, crockery, rugs, vases, statues, stuffed animals, bits, bobs, and on every wall, it seems, there are clocks of every size and shape. The clocks go off at different times. Yes, yes. Why? Why? Well, they're all set at different times because I think if they were all to go off at once, we'd be going absolutely crazy. Most people think, oh my goodness, I suppose it is a unique story for Bristol. There can't be many other couples who've got a house like this <laughs> and who live this sort of lifestyle. I think you've got to be a bit eccentric to want to live in a house like this. Would you like some tea? If we go upstairs, have you got time for tea? That would be lovely. As I walk into Grenville's drawing room, another childhood memory comes back to me. That feeling of having overly long limbs and clumsiness. Here's the green drawing room, you say. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm actually terrified that I'm don't, wearing my don't, backpack. Don't, 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 don't. Chill, do mind your head, because that is quite a low. Oh. You just warned me about that. You're right. Is it okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm fine. I've, as long um, as your head's okay. Yeah, I, it hit my. Um, this is the story of a man who has surrounded himself in the treasures of his past. A man who has turned his home into his very own museum. Teacup elegantly in hand, Grenville tells me all about his home. Granny bought it in 1900 and left it to me when I was 17. Basically, the house has been in my family for over 100 years now, which is incredible, 117 years. So... I remember it being lit with gas, with coal fires, you know, staying over with my grandma literally every, every weekend was an incredible experience. In the back room, I remember my grandparents had an Amazonian parrot called Joey. He had a big black hooked, shiny black beak and big claws, black claws. And he'd come and sit on my shoulder. Well, he was several feet high. He was quite a big, big parrot. And um, i feed him grapes or um, sunflower seeds. And Joey would peck my ear uh, naughtily. But he sadly died when I was about 10. And I've got a photo of my grandpa. And on the back, he's written my... Dearest Paul, Joey died today, and I was about 10 years old, so 1959. But he was quite special, really, to my childhood. So it was a very magical childhood, and something which is probably alien now, you know, to most people. That's the way life was. All those Edwardian values still came through to my childhood and influenced the way I behave now possibly in the way you know I like to eat and you know sort of do things properly. The lovely thing was is that part of my magical childhood um, centred around the fact that um, Granny's brother was an antiques dealer so I, I learnt a lot about antiques. 
This is an automata bird and it dates from the 19th century. It was made in Paris. And what amazes me is the fact that you've got a real little exotic bird in there, a little red bird with beautiful plumage sitting on a branch and there's no sign that it's an automata. How that works, I've no idea. And its head swings from side to side and its tail bobs up and down. How amazing is that from the period of about 1860? Grenville doesn't live here alone. He shares this extraordinary place with his partner. I live with my partner, Alan. Alan, um, I met Alan in 1972. I was still a young teacher uh, at the age of 22. I always, (laughs) it's quite a strange story actually, but absolutely true. I had to go to Bristol after school one evening to collect some books for the children. I parked up my car and passed over the city centre and saw what I thought was quite a handsome young blonde gentleman walking across the city centre. And just our eyes met, I suppose, and glanced and walked past each other. And... Then, months later, I used to frequent a gay bar in Bristol. And in those days, you know, being a teacher and being gay was quite difficult, quite challenging. And I had to be very discreet. And I went to this gay bar, which was quite renowned in Bristol, and where gay men and women would meet, and transgender people could meet as well. And sitting in the bar was Alan. He was the blonde guy I'd seen crossing the city centre, you know, months before. So, uh, (laughs) It was quite formal, really. I said to the barman, would you like to send a drink over to that gentleman, please? <laughs> he told me the story that he'd just come back from Toronto in Canada uh, because his father was unwell uh, and he didn't. the family didn't expect him to live for much longer. And he said, you know, I'm considering either moving back to Toronto if anything happened to my father, but my mother would be widowed and I've got my sister. But I really feel I can't live with my family. And at that stage, Granny had left me the house. And I said, well, I've actually got a house in St George. Would you like to see it? Would you like to meet my mum and dad? And he did. probably a good place to stop for the time being what do you think honestly it it brought a smile to my face he has the kind of british eccentricity that i kind of love about a lot of places in the uk and what a character what a what a what a character to to meet and actually a privilege i suppose to go into his house is that how it felt for you when you walked in into his house did it just hit you straight away what a character this guy was definitely yeah I'm really glad that comes through for you as well he was so welcoming and yeah to show me all of the all of the items he has I mean actually part of it was that um 
he doesn't just invite anyone in. He does open his doors to magazines sometimes when they do features on him because it, it really is a museum and a house. Like, I can't stress that more strongly. But he's so welcoming and so keen to just show you all of these cool things that surround him. And then when he told me about the love of his life, living there with him, it just made me love him more. Yeah, I loved the love story with Alan. And how quickly it just seemed to escalate. I just love the fact that it's uh, it was almost uh, a fiction, right? You see, you see this person that you find quite attractive, you bump into that person quite randomly at a bar and then the next thing you know you're living together I mean it it almost sounds made up yeah exactly I mean I had the impression that I'm sure that Grenville was a very attractive younger man and he would have met lots of different people but you know he's quite an unusual person he inherited this house so young and then is living in you know he's so surrounded by his family's things and furniture and history I just think not everybody would be so happy to move into that, especially when they've just met someone. I mean, the way you described him seems fantastical and almost Willy Wonka-ish. You know what yeah. I mean? Like this character who's devised his own world. Um, was it as wondrous as it sounded when you were there on the day? It really is. I mean, obviously, podcasts are an hourable medium. So I really wish that, that you could really see all of this stuff. But it's just amazing. I mean, one of the things that we'll come to later in the piece is is how this might be shared a bit more with, with the rest of the society, with the rest of Bristol. The work they put into it. A, a, a piece that I didn't actually put in in the end, but I asked him how long it takes to dust the house because... God, I mean, I would not want to do that. And the place is spotless. And he says they've got a rotation. So like they have to go through the, the rooms on rotation over the year. And then um, and then they start again at the beginning. It literally never ends. Thanks very much, Alice. Yeah, looking forward to hearing the, the second part of that piece after the break. Before the break, we were introduced to Grenville and his extraordinary house. And keep your ears open for some more amazing and slightly endangered creatures. I've just realised what you're standing on. Oh yes. Most people are horrified by it and sadly it's part of our human history. It's it's a real taxidermy leopard from the late 19th century, a real leopard with his teeth. He's been given a diamante uh, necklace around his neck as a tongue-in-cheek um, bit of fun. As a same-sex couple then, we had to push the boundaries a bit, you know, because the law hadn't changed and there were all sorts of, um, of fears and phobias about, you know, same-sex couples. Um, we've never been on marches to promote our sexuality, but what we have done is just to try to lead by example, by being kindly, by being polite. And we've never, ever had any, you know, homophobic, um, abuse hurled at us as a same-sex couple. The community is incredibly welcoming and supportive and we're just treated as Grenville and Allen and that's how it should be. This is a British telephone. If you pick up the handpiece, you still get the dialing tone. Yes, we're picking that up. So you meet your partner mm. and you say, would you like to come and live with me in my grandma's mm. house, mm. which hasn't, ch which is, is mm. as she left it. Yeah. Some people might say, 
Well, I'm not sure about that. What we've done is together we've 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 helped the house to evolve together. I was in hospital undergoing major surgery, tummy surgery last year, and um, it was quite a challenge because I was very unwell, and you know we didn't know if the surgery would work. But thankfully, I've made a full recovery. And I said to Alan in passing, I'd love to create a room of curiosities in the ensuite room. And whilst I was in hospital, the bath was taken out from the room, the loo's still there in the wash basin. But I said, I want to create a room of curiosities. When I came home, he decorated the room as my homecoming present, which is incredible. So in this room, we've got a taxidermy crocodile. We've got a Pinocchio puppet. We've got a replica of a human skeleton. A model of Marlena Dietrich. A 1930s um, ventriloquist dummy. There's a python skin mounted on the A whole collection here. of butterflies collection and monsters. of beetles. Mannequins, shells, model of a human heart. Not real human skull, but a replica. A, a baby badger skull and a taxidermy uh, terrapin here. There is a WC in the corner and there's a wash basin. So I can nip out of bed at night, be surrounded by all these curiosities and use the loo and wash my hands. How quirky is that? <laughs> so the next one, we've got the, the library room in here, if you want to see it, or the study. Another frozen in time spot. And there's a very unusual clock on the wall, a wall clock over there. And what do you notice about the eyes? Look at them. Wow. They're moving, they're shifting. It's an automata clock and they're shifting from left to right. Grenville is open about the fact that he and Alan are getting on a bit. And this raises a big question about the future of the house. I've no children. My partner hasn't any children, so... You know, we only have each other. I don't have any real immediate family apart from several cousins. I would hate to think that nearly 50 years of collecting now would be just lost if it were to be sold off. I'd love, I think, the ultimate would be um, to hopefully leave the garden and the house as as a museum, as a walk-in place where, you know, time stood still and people can come in and enjoy it and learn from it and appreciate it. There are important pieces of furniture and artefacts here that belong and are part of Bristol's history. Like the clock, like the Bristol blue, like the decanters. There are other elements too which are quite unusual. For example, the big statue in the corner there. It's about eight feet high. Uh, it's on its pedestal bridge. It's made from plaster and it depicts depicts Kronos, or Old Father Time. And he was sculpted by a very famous sculptor called Humphrey Hopper. And his right foot is placed over a, um, a sand timer, which is horizontally placed. And the message that that gives is, time never runs out. When you first walk in through the door, yes. one of the first... Uh eyes that you're met with are... A scary portrait. Well, it's it's a copy of Caravaggio's Medusa. One look at Medusa, that was it. She's got the snakes and um, she's giving a bit of a scary look there, isn't she? 
So there's quite a theme of time here. Time, yes. And hopefully time hasn't stood still, but it's sort of hovering over a certain sort of late Georgian Victorian period. Although it appears to be a museum in here and other parts of the house, it's our home. We live with it and we enjoy it and we use it every day. It sounds quirky, but it's, it's a fact, you know, <laughs> that's the way it is. I feel like that visit was a kind of immersion therapy. It's made me feel a bit more relaxed about antiques. Grenville takes a lot of comfort from these things, so maybe I can too. My granny died recently, and there are still a lot of her things to go through. Honestly, I've been putting it off a bit, and the only things I've asked to keep were modern things, which seems really silly now. I have two older brothers and a twin sister, and they just went through and took what they wanted, things that reminded them of her. But I felt weirdly paralysed by the whole thing. I think it's partly because I was actually there with her a lot towards the end, using a lot of the stuff they were going through. That's not me being any kind of martyr or anything, I just happened to have a bit of a lull at that point. I was studying and had some free time, no kids, living locally, and she needed a bit of extra help. My mum offered me this big wooden clock which was on the wall of my granny's kitchen and at the time I wasn't sure about it but I feel kind of differently about it now so I think I'm going to take it but I'll probably just stick to one though. Grenville is still looking for help from local museums and the council to decide what to do with this house in the future so if you have any contacts please get in touch with us. Contact details in the episode description. There we go. I really liked it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is just my feelings on this, is that it's it's almost an, an essay about mortality. You know, this quite reflective piece about the eccentricities of life, but then suddenly it's it can be over in an instant and that, that piece just brought to to mind just a reflection on on that notion. Yeah, I th- I think I think that's what I've realised. Um, that feeling that I talk about in the beginning, that kind of like nostalgic sickness feeling. I think that I this piece kind of helped me work through that a little bit, and um, and maybe not be so scared of of. I don't think it's my own aging that that worried me. It's just that feeling of like time passing and decaying and things not staying as they were and I mean it's very typical of me to take something that's quite fun and light and make it dark (laughs) about mortality but um well I actually I actually think it was fun and it was and you know death and mortality doesn't have to be 100% morbid you know it's just that kind of somber thing that we all face that you know it's just it's it's a celebration of life as much as thinking about death it, it seemed it came across that way and um, i just want to ask one question as well have you have you got your grandma's clock yep i have the clock i was i stayed true to my word i haven't put it up yet but <laughs> but it will go up and um and i've started to really love it actually it's it's quite a kind of it's quite bulky but it's really simple which i think is perfect to describe her and also me and also our relationship you know it's not ornate and like heavy and dark it's kind of like simple and does the job nice um going back to the the piece i I love the way that um grenville 
talked about his his objects in his in his house, like his collection. When you talked to him, could you could you see the passion in his eyes? Was it obvious that he was in love with these things as much as he was when he first got them? Yeah, absolutely. And I think what he loved even more than the actual objects themselves was sharing them with someone. So telling the story behind every single piece. And I'm not, I don't want to to give the impression that he went around the house and gave me a lecture on every single object. Not true. He's a teacher. He knows what gets people's interests. One piece that I didn't put in was this amazing French craft box, which was for, uh, for ladies who would do sewing. And there was this little, it was completely silver, the whole thing, like pure silver or as pure as silver can be. And um, and there was a sewing set there, so a little pair of silver scissors, silver needles, and then this tiny silver spoon, which he told me it was used to scoop earwax out of your ear and then <sighs> warm it between your fingers and use it to um, point the thread before you threaded your needle. What? So disgusting. I mean, we think of, like, you know, French aristocracy as being so you know, perfect and pure, but what a disgusting thing to do. Ugh. And I, I did love that that bit in the piece when you listed all the objects. It did give you a sense of the scale of the amount of stuff that was in the house. And you probably could have kept on listing them for, for ages after that. And can you give us an update since? Because obviously you recorded this quite a while ago and he, and he talks there about how he doesn't want all these objects to go to waste do you know any any update on that is he still there is he still alive is he is he still surrounded by these objects yeah he's still there he's still looking for a way to keep the house alive after he after his demise as he puts it so part of having me come to see the house and do some recording there was was in the hope that this piece might help him find somewhere um so uh, you know i think it would be great if we could send this piece to the bristol museum and I'm not sure if you've been to it, the Georgian House Museum in Bristol. No, I've not. I'm not cultured enough. Well, that should be next on your list. So I think we should do that and just see if, if there's anything if there's anything they can do to help. Because there is actually... So there, I think the house is on three, at least three floors. And there's a kind of suite upstairs, which could be used by someone to keep an eye on the house. So it would actually be the perfect place to have a kind of mini museum after they after they pass away. I think the fact that he's so open about that worry is really interesting. And actually it calls things into when you don't have kids there is that question about like where is everything going to go you know do do you do you leave things to to your niece your nephew he has cousins but none of them are interested in in all the stuff so he doesn't want all his work to go to waste which i completely understand thank you so much to alice homewood and thank you for listening Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you can leave a review, that would be great. It helps others to discover the show. See you next time.